Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey, where along with my partners, Anne and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. So it's not every day on this program, I invite the guy down the block to be my special year-end holiday guest on my Financially Speaking podcast. And of course, this still being 2020, and rather than walk four houses down to interview him, we do this remotely because we want to keep our families safe, and that's the right thing to do. Lucky for you, my listeners, that guy happens to be one John Resnick, lead singer of one of rock's best-selling and most beloved bands, the Goo Goo Dolls. Now, John, a proud Buffalo native, is in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, winning the very special Hal David Starlight Award for penning a series of Billboard chart-topping songs beginning in 1995 with number one hits like Iris, which was a quadruple platinum winning song, Grammy nominated for Record of the Year after he wrote it for the fantastic City of Angels movie soundtrack, along with, just to name a few others, One's called Name, actually. Slide, Black Balloon, Better Days, and one of my personal recent favorites, Fearless. Mm -hmm. And John and the band have set a record for the most top 10 hits in hot AC radio history, and Iris alone spent nearly a year on Billboard charts. Late in 2019, the band released their 12th studio album, Miracle Pill, Mm -hmm. believing they were going to go on tour. And I guess the, it should have been called Miracle Vaccine, I guess, at the time. Yeah. But hopefully he's going to get a chance to tour with it. And and I believe working on another album, I'll ask him about that and next summer. And But this month, they've released their first Christmas album. It's called It's Christmas All Over. It's jazzy. It's got some instant classics as well as some standards. And, and trust me, folks, even as a Jew who doesn't listen to a lot of Christmas music. <laughs> this is great. I mean, really, I mean, I, I trust me, you guys win the music all the time. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I mean, it's just, it just never worked for me. I've always loved the Christmas music. I did once get to sing Christmas songs with Tony Randall on TV, but wow. that's, a whole, that's a whole other story that goes back to high school. But anyway, <laughs> we don't live in LA or New York City, so we call home around here a historic little town dating yeah. back to 1720. We got 30,000 residents that are always helping each other out, especially in tough times like this year. And John is certainly no exception. Already this year, he performed from his front porch live on ABC with Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest to raise funds for small businesses that were shattered by the pandemic. And now John, who's been doing incredible philanthropic work throughout his career, he's already helping big time locally again with the Be The Light Hunger Drive here in our community. And I want to thank our mutual friend and rock star mayor, not just mm-hmm because I helped her get elected, and she's a friend, (laughs) Shelly Brindle. John is helping get much-needed food to the food pantry, the Community Food Bank of New Jersey, through the Westfield United Fund. And I'm going to link up to all these things in the show notes. Even later today, he's playing a great fundraiser called Shine the Light, which is an Asbury Park fundraiser put on by Light of Day, which is really one of my favorite foundations. I've been at every Light of Day since... They started doing it since Grishecki started it. In fact, I was there the year you played. And I believe Bruce played that year too, right? He did. Yeah. He did. And yeah. it was my that was my big chance to meet Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> it didn't go well. It didn't go well. I just I saw him coming up the stairs and I and I looked at him, I was like, hey. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know what to say to you. What do you say? What do you say to Bruce Springsteen? I know. What kind of strings you use, pal? I don't right. know. You know, you're just like, I figured the best thing I should have done was just said, hey, man, big fan of your music. Thank you for everything. Yeah. That, but I didn't. I panicked. Yeah. I panicked. Well, you're, you're, you're not alone. It's interesting. I was at, I've met him a few times. And the first time 
mostly through Max Weinberg and, and it was kind of a very comfortable private setting. So I did have the opportunity to chat about a concert in 1981, which, you know, why he, I remembered it. Of course he remembered the, the set list that night, but, <laughs> but I was watching people when he had his, at his book signings and the same thing, people, well, what do you, what do you say? I mean, exactly. But yeah. uh, well, whatever. It was a great show that night. And also folks, this Wednesday night, December 2nd, join John and a host of others on NBC live as the annual Christmas tree lighting from Rockefeller Center. Anyway, hey there, neighbor. Welcome to the show, officially. Hey, neighbor. How okay. are you? All right. Good to be here. All right. So let's start out with the obvious 2020 as uh-huh. we wind it down. What a what a freaking year. <laughs> so give us a sense first of the silver linings that that, that you found besides writing music and, and doing these fantastic at-home concerts. Yeah. The silver lining that I found is that I've gotten to spend more time with my daughter, who's three, than I have her whole life, her little short life. Mm -hmm. This is the longest that she and I have been together. And that was great. The other thing that was really a huge silver lining was just watching the whole town with the mayor, Shelly Mm -hmm. Brindle, her honor. Yes. (laughs) The mayor just really go at this thing and really pull the community together and like, and we live in a great, we live in a great place. This is the first place that I've lived since I left Buffalo. I actually feel like it's home. Yeah. You know? And it's got that feel like, you know, your neighbors actually talk to you and hang out, you know? Yeah. So I love that. And watching how people got together, that's another thing that is just really amazing. And having the opportunity to give back, I've been so lucky and so blessed my whole life, you know, so... Well, your daughter is already an Instagram celebrity eating chocolate <laughs> chips. Uh, yeah, I, mean, so. <laughs> I was proud of her. I was hey, proud of her. That's a really great start. That that was really terrific. Yeah, folks, you're gonna have to check that out on on. Uh, I think it's on your Instagram, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Are you getting into baking? Is this something that yeah. we don't know about? Yeah. Yeah, I ba- no, I've always been into baking, mm-hmm. cooking, and that, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to teach her how to. Well, we get together and we play, and she helps me. Right. You know what I mean? So I just put an apron on her and give her a whisk and then crack an egg in a bowl with some stuff and just let her make a mess. And, it's, the, uh, it's the best thing. No, it's really, it's really great. And, and with yeah. Thanksgiving coming up, you, I guess, have an opportunity to, unfortunately, I'm sure you'd probably be with family, you know, normally yeah. in Buffalo, but you'll make Thanksgiving at home, I guess. And yeah, we always do Thanksgiving that. here. Yeah. We always do Thanksgiving here. And then we go up to Buffalo to see my sisters, but I don't think that's happening this year. Yeah. Yeah. Just, no, you know. It's just, it just can't. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. really rough. So we're going to get to the, this great Christmas album in a bit, but this is actually somewhat of a financial show. And mm-hmm. every now and then I do forget that. So uh, I always figure I should f- throw in a few related business financial questions, but no math is involved. So just so, Thank just God. so you well, don't worry. I can deduct 15% of any dollar amount <laughs> because of my manager. I'm like, let's see. And then I just cut it in half <laughs> to figure out, well, that's what I'm taking home. Like I, I take 15% off the top and then cut it in half. And that's what I'm taking. It's home. amazing how you learn that 15%, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you a minute about something John Shear said recently when, when I interviewed him, but yeah, last week I had Danica McKellar who played Winnie Cooper on Wonder Years, mm-hmm. who's like this math genius. She's written all these books, math for kids. Like your daughter within a year or two needs to start getting her books. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible what, you know, it's, and it's made for young girls, but cool. uh, she actually sang a song about pie, not apple pie, but pie PI when, you know, it had like 198 numbers in it or something. I mean, it was mm. to the tune of Tchaikovsky, but it was, it was pretty, pretty crazy. So before the obvious rock business questions and how different things are today, streaming, touring, mm-hmm. you know, we'll get to that. I know from, from doing a lot of research that, that my firm has done UBS with entertainers, athletes. And recently we did some shows with Magic Johnson, one with Laura Dern last week. And one common thread comes up and it's the desperate need for more financial education. And this pretty much runs through, you know, it runs through a lot of industries, but athletes and entertainers. And a lot of rock stars like you deal with agents, as you mentioned, and lawyers and and business managers, but rarely do you either have any financial education themselves, and it could be a big big problem. So I just kind of wanted to hear what your experience has been and what what you've learned over the years, which I'm sure is a a lot, 
<laughs> you well, I yeah. and you know we learned a lot of it the hard way. So. Right. Well, that's so. the story that we hear. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, our first record deal didn't go well, and we wound up finally getting out of it. But there was a lot of money that we could have made and didn't. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm allowed to say about that. Yeah. But and, it was and, our own. And, it was our own fault. It was our own stupidity. We didn't take the time. You know, we were like 22, maybe. I was like, yeah, but 22. that's a, it's a, it's not so much your own fault, too, but because it's a common thread that I've heard from, I mean, you know, we mentioned Springsteen earlier. I mean, talk about his early days and, and his first agent and everything, you know, that went on there. Billy Joel can tell you about his brother in law, you mm-hmm. know, who took, you know, yeah. all his money from the stranger. But, but the common thread is that you probably grew up in a household like most of us did, where there wasn't any financial education. No. Yeah. There was no money. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. That that makes it even harder. Yeah. But but that's typical also of, of many athletes and many entertainers as they grew mm-hmm. up without money. And even, you know, Laura Dern was mentioning this and she grew up in a household, you know, where her dad and, and mom both are successful actors, but they never spent any time. So she gets in the industry and suddenly she's treated, I think in Jurassic Park, she was paid 10 times less than what Jeff Goldblum was making. And mm-hmm. you know, she had no idea how to even speak up or talk about it. And of course, the agents weren't really helping. So right. your story is is incredibly common. And that's something that I know we've been working with at UBS with a lot of athletes and entertainers. And we've we've actually brought in a few former NFL stars recently that are working with us because they they realize this and, and you know they just they never they never had any learn, you know, they didn't teach it. So did yeah. you eventually get some like money mentors to know you? Because knowledge is is so powerful in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I when I when I first had a little bit of money, mm-hmm. the first thing and I and I, I hooked up with a business manager who does a lot of a lot of huge acts. Right. And he's very, very reputable. He and I have been together for 25 years now. But the first thing he was saying to me was don't act as if this money's going to keep coming in forever. Because it could stop any time. So here's what you got to do. And then he started like that. Mm-hmm. He's right. like, get your debt down to nothing. You have enough money to pay off your student loans. And that's the first thing you're going to do. You're going to pay off your student loans. Okay, great. Let's right. them all off. Mm-hmm. And then we went from there as we had another bit of success. You know, Then it was like, okay, you're going to get this house, but you're not going to buy the $10 million house. Like you may have the down payment for the $10 million house, but you're not buying the $10 million house. You're buying the $1 million house mm-hmm. and you're going to pay it off. Right. That's it. You know, he's his whole rule is don't owe anything to anybody. And he's very conservative. And when we finally had some money to invest in, it was very much tax-free municipal bonds mm-hmm. and some index funds. Right. And that was that was because he's like, you don't want to sit and work at this. He's like, you just need things that are going to take care of you. And that's been really good. That's mm-hmm. That's been very, very good. But his other thing is don't spend more than you make. Don't just don't spend more than you make. And, and that's, that's so hard. Fun. Yeah. That's hard. I, oh, it's the hardest thing in the world for anybody to do, let alone people that are fortunate like you and, and do well. And I guess you probably answered the next question, which would be, what would you tell your younger self about all all of this? And probably that would be it, I guess. What would I tell myself? I wouldn't tell myself, don't sign that first deal. Because if I hadn't, I wouldn't have continued to make records. Even though I may have been getting ripped off, I don't know. But it led to everything that came up. You know, sometimes so it's it's like I joke with a couple of friends who are in bands. I can't say who they are, but... Yeah who got screwed for money, screwed over for money. And they're just like, look, it's the sacrifice that we have to make. There's a, a little bit of a joke amongst musicians. It's like, yeah, well, we had to get ripped off because that's the price of admission. And then it certainly motivates you to work much harder. And you go into this like survival mode where it's like, well, that sucked, but at least we learned something from this. Yeah. And yeah. now let's be smart. And you thought, you know, I've had the same manager for 30 years. Right. And because I knew I could trust him because he had nothing when we had nothing. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and trust is the trust is probably the most important word in my industry. I always say that my job is about managing people's expectations, but at the not not their money, but at the end of the day, all the relationships are about trust. And if there's no yeah. trust, then there's no relationship. So yeah. I'm not surprised to hear you that you had worked with the same manager for that period yeah. because you trust them and you're confident, you know? So let's talk about the rock and roll business a bit. So as mentioning, I spoke recently to John Cher, who of course promoted every band from The yeah. Who, The Stones, The Dead, CSN, the Epic Capital Theater in Passaic, New Jersey, where Bruce played some of the greatest shows ever. In fact, he told this great story. You'll love this story. He was He had John Sebastian booked and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band as the warm-up act. This is 19... 19- 75, I think. And, you know, Sebastian's big artist, Love and Spoonful, you know, big, big deal, a lot of hits. And Sebastian comes in for the sound check and he's sitting there and Springsteen and the band are up there and they, I think they played Rosalita. And Sebastian looked over at John Shear and said, I can't go on after that. Are, Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, and he went and he, and he wound up literally asking John Shear to say, you know, could, do you think Bruce would mind going on first? Because I, I really I really don't care if we do that. And and that's what they, they wound up doing. And and Bruce wound up being the headliner that yeah, night, yeah. not John Shear. You know, so, I mean, it's funny. And how that's these, uh, these things happen. You know, that's a that's a very wise man. <laughs> that could do that. A very humble man. Who can oh, do that. absolutely. Yeah. No, it says a lot about John Sebastian, actually, mm-hmm. that that's what happened. And it's, uh, I just think, you know, really great story. But what, one of the things that Bill, that he said that he learned from Bill Graham is that the only thing that remained consistent in his world was that the promoter was asked to take less and less, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny in your world. That's kind of an understatement, I would say, for you, since you broke out you know, in the early nineties, you know, yeah, you know, cause it's such a, it's such a different world. I mean, so when streaming first started, so when you had Napster and things like that, were, were you starting to worry like, wow, we're going to be able to sell albums. I mean, we, was, did you see that coming early? I think we all saw it coming, but the record companies in their infinite wisdom mm-hmm. couldn't pull together and buy up the technology they right. couldn't agree on anything. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was like, ah, this will pass. It's like a CB radio. Everyone will play with it for a little while and then, you know, and then get rid of it. And, and you know, they got caught with their pants down. Yeah. And we all suffered because of it. If the big, at the time, I think there were five massive major labels. If they could have pulled it together, they could have bought up all that technology and then sold control everybody it. the same guy. Yeah, control exactly. it, you know? Yeah. But then yeah. until the Music Modernization Act, which mm-hmm. just came through not that long ago, you made nothing from streaming. Yeah, I remember I did an event, well, this was probably 10 years ago, with John Andresik from Five yeah, from Fighting. Five from Fighting. And a client of mine owned a, owned a restaurant locally called Shanghai Jazz. And this organization called YPO was looking for an entertainment person. And I had met him through the hockey world. The guy's like huge hockey fan, big LA Kings fan. Oh, actually. yeah, John. Um, yeah. Crazy. So I connected and he came and he played and it was guys, amazing, amazing talent. Runs a business on the side. I think it's cardboard boxes or something. It's like totally different thing. That's his day job. It was his parents' business. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. parents, his yeah. parents had some kind of something really some, cool business yeah yeah. Something was, just, I thought it, yeah i thought it was like cardboard boxes or or like shopping carts or something yeah like that. something yeah and so he yeah. but he talked about at that point the song world had just come out mm-hmm. i mean and you know that was an enormous hit you know mm-hmm. and i think sears name we don't use anymore but you know used it actually for their commercials and he was explaining to me how you know every time and it had been downloaded i think 19 million times in eight weeks. And, you know, he was show, explained to me how he got one and a half cents or something per download or whatever the number was. It was just like nothing. And this is, this is kind of, this is at least 10 years ago, something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's better now, yeah. but I, I think, I think it was before the act. Definitely. Well, the thing about all these streaming services, they're content driven businesses, right? So it's like, if you put it into the perspective of a brick and mortar, Say you mm-hmm. go to Bavella's Bakery, right. right? And you just go in, you got to pay for the cookies. Right. Or if you just take them, 
there's going to be nothing left. So you have to pay people for what they what they contribute. You can't just think that the content will just keep showing up magically and it doesn't have to be paid for. I mean, it costs the cost of production has gone down substantially. So is the quality of a lot of music has gone down substantially. But I mean, it's it's getting itself straightened out. I was always blown away by this whole concept of why should we pay for music? There was a guy named Lawrence Lessig, who's a very, very smart man, but I didn't agree with his opinions about, you know, common usage or whatever, fair usage right. or whatever. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if you go see Ralph at Pavela's, it's yeah. like, I made this cookie. It's a right. buck. Right. Take, give me a buck. I'll give you the cookie. By the you way, know? folks, this week, financially speaking, is being brought to you by Bavella's, Bavella's. Um, for all of your bakery needs. I have to, since you mentioned Bavella's, I cannot let this go. At mm-hmm. Springsteen's 65th birthday, which was in front of 70,000 people at MetLife Stadium, mm-hmm. it was one of the rainiest nights New Jersey ever had. He didn't start the show till 11 o'clock. Bavella's made the cake. Yeah. For that show. That was an That's amazing, awesome. amazing cake. Ralph Ralph came, brought the cake, and oh, I was never prouder of Westfield than that yeah. night. But, no, but I yeah, love your, that your, place. Your point, Christmas. your point, yeah, your point is is so well taken. And and I guess that's the benefit at the end of the day of touring more. Well, touring is yeah. definitely been yeah. where we make our money. Touring right. and publishing. Touring is great. I love the touring aspect, you know, because of the connection with the people and being away from them for so long. And we did a couple of virtual shows and just seeing some of the same people. We did like virtual meet and greets and seeing people on the screen that we hadn't seen in person in a while was like, hey, you know, they're like an extended family. Oh, absolutely. And it felt good to be together, at least in that way. Again, touring is fun, too, you know, because we just always have a great time. I love making that connection with the audience. I just have a very strong opinion of what my role is in that situation. And it's, you know, yeah, they're they're here to see us. But I always say to myself, these people spent a lot of dough to come out here tonight, you know? And it's like, you got to entertain them. Yeah, and you don't you honestly don't know and 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 this is something Springsteen says a lot too, which is so true, is that he treats every night, even though he knows there's probably half the audience has seen him like me ridiculous amounts of time. Yeah. You know, there's somebody out there tonight that this is their first time. And yeah. it was a big deal for them to pay for this ticket. And, yep. and I'm gonna play play to that one person and I'm gonna make yep. that connection. And having yeah. having seen you in concert. That's exactly what your shows are like. I mean, the people, you, the, the, the connection at a Goo Goo Dolls concert, anyone listening that's been at one knows what I'm talking about, is is very, very special. And they're only, you go to shows where you don't see that. And I don't mean anything negative about this particular artist because I love Van Morrison, but I'm just going to throw him as an example because I've seen him a number of times, not in a long time, but that was just not his thing. And he even talked about it publicly. And he yeah. just, he, he played, he just played, didn't even know the audience was there. It just wasn't his thing. Right. There are artists that do that, but I don't think you can survive in today's world yeah. if you're not connecting with the audience. I mean, no. obviously the guy wrote some of the greatest songs in the world. I'm not you yes, know, he did. trying to diss Van Morrison, but. No, you know, but yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Some people have a different way of, of performing. You know, yeah. and his way of performing is, you know, he's probably got the music going through his head and he's trying to find his mojo. And yeah. that's what he's transmitting to the audience. Yeah. Dylan, you know? Dylan's the same way, too. You know? Yeah. So you mentioned before about publishing and Taylor Swift, who you shared the stage with not that long ago and played Iris, which is something I want to link to. It's really, really great. That was awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and this is just so classic. I, I have a 23-year-old daughter. And when you when you actually moved into the neighborhood, the first thing she told me about was the Taylor Swift thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, that was like, I got, you know, he's had a pretty good career. You know, he does have this band. Yeah, but he sang with Taylor Swift. I'm like, oh, okay. Coincidentally, I, I actually it. worked. With, I worked with Taylor Swift's dad at Merrill Lynch. We were in, really? we were in Scott. We were, we were actually in different offices, but we knew each other because we were involved in a training program for younger advisors. And when Taylor Swift was 10 years old, there was an event that Merrill Lynch, who I worked for at the time, had out in, at the Phoenician in, in Scottsdale. And that was the first time you could bring kids to these types of events. 
And before our business meeting started, little 10-year-old girl got up there on stage with her little guitar and played either God Bless America or the National Anthem or something. And, mm -hmm. and my kids played with her and everybody played with her. You know, I didn't think anything of it. And then, wow. You know, yeah. so uh, she was just pretty amazing at 10. I was extremely impressed when I went and showed up there and she met me. She greeted me and she showed me around and she told me what she wanted to do. And did I have any ideas of what I wanted to do? And, and we did it. And it was just so much fun. I was like, I walked away from that going, man, that is a sharp girl. That is a very sharp person. Oh, no, absolutely. And the reason actually I really brought her up is because she's been entangled in a publishing rights situation to her first six albums that were sold to a private equity fund recently for 300 million or something. And was and, it sold by her? She, no, she, she, the company, was that Scooter. Yes. Yeah. yeah Braun, the, the, right. the company that he had, he sold it to someone else. But how could he do that? Well, that's that's the whole issue that's out there. I mean, and, unless she signed a contract where there's no reversion or whatever. Well, that's that's kind of I guess what's what's out there about the you know the acquisition. She said I would have she would have acquired her former label, but she was never given the opportunity to purchase the rights without getting into it. I mean, listen, there's I'm sure ten different sides to the story, but it's just the strange thing that's going on out there. And I was just curious mm -hmm. what your take on publishing rights is just in, it's just in general, because, you know, there's the business side of the issue. There's the, uh, the business there's the creative side of the business. And, you know, the gap can be as wide as the grand Canyon, you know? Yeah. Publishing can be a very complex issue. And the one thing that I would recommend to every young artist who may be getting a record deal or not, or you're going to get serious and you're going to become a professional. And there's a book by a lawyer named Don Passman, P-A-S-S-M-A-N. And it's called All You Need to Know About the Music Business. Now, I read the book, highlighted everything I wanted to know. And, and then I cold called him. I cold called his office and I said, I would like to make an appointment to speak with Mr. Passman on the phone. And I'll, I will pay his hourly rate, mm -hmm. if I can just have a conversation with him about his book. So I called and he was gracious enough to take my call. And boy, did I learn a lot that day <laughs> in an hour. And it's very a publishing smart thing rights. To do. Yeah, well, because I had made a big mistake. So mm -hmm. I was like, I was determined not to make another big mistake. So that was that was very enlightening. And the complexities of publishing and reversion rights and People don't understand. I mean, there's two sides of the publishing. You of know, course. The, the master side and the publishing side. And those two things together are really where you're going to make a lot of money and touring and merchandise. That's where those are the places to make. Making money selling records? I don't think so much anymore. You know, so you got to hang on to your, to, you got to make sure you get a good publishing deal. If you can get an administrative deal, if you don't need an advance, don't mm -hmm. take it. Because these people, they're like, sure, we'll give you, we'll give you a million dollars, but we want five million back before we pay you. It's insane. If you're, if you're, if you have the the wherewithal to not take a public any kind of an advance, I wouldn't take it. You know. Now, right. That being said, I was twenty and broke, mm -hmm. so we took the advance and yeah, uh, well, we paid for it. Right. But but, you, but you like know, you said, it, it all turned out okay. One know? thing, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could have yeah. easily gone sideways, but right, right. You know, and it's important to keep an eye on your streaming because that's that's with the Music Modernization Act. It's a great thing. Yeah. Now, what's going on now? Interestingly enough, there are these companies who are raising hundreds of millions of dollars and buying catalogs, right? Because they're a revenue stream that will just keep going forever. And, you know. And some are public. Some are publicly traded companies, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because it's it's a, I mean, there's a lot of money in that. Yeah. And some of the numbers that get thrown around, it's insane. It's insane the kind of money these guys are paying. But I think it's great for artists. You know, it's a great opportunity to just keep going. Right. You can build another catalog after you sell your first one. Those are all great things. But that I think is, I think I think it's important to have a very, very transparent day-to-day -day relationship with the people who are handling your money. Mm -hmm. You know? And if you can find a good financial advisor at a reputable company, mm -hmm. you know, 
that's someplace to go. Make sure, make sure that you're dealing with a fiduciary who has to take care of you. You know, because we're not, we're not built. I, I, at least I'm not. I'm not built to sit there and watch a stock market thing. I don't, I don't understand what is going on underneath the hood. Right. So, so it's good to have somebody who has your best interest at heart. Right. Well, that I tell you, was great. Great. I'm going to link to the book you mentioned, but really what a great idea. And people don't do that enough. Pick up the phone and call the guy who wrote it. And that's just, you know, just really, really shows just a genius move. So we're going to pivot to Christmas now and the new record. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's Christmas all over. So, you know, if you told me back, I guess, in the late 80s when you guys were kind of a punk band and and then, you know, moved alternative or whatever, that the Goo Goo Dolls would be putting out a, a holiday album one day. I, I, I'm not sure that's where I would have placed a bet. So what, what's the kind of what's the intention, the genesis of, of, of how this all started? Well, I mean, the whole thing started early in 2020 when mm-hmm. uh, we had just gotten back from the UK. And like, I swear to God, COVID was like two steps behind us the whole time. And we got back and I went out to Los Angeles and I was, I was going to record a Christmas song for a compilation. And I was like, great, that's good. Then I came home and this whole thing happened. And then, you know, I did the little porch concert. I started right. doing all these things and I was just watching the news. And I have a very, very good friend who's a doctor in Los Angeles. And he's like, man, this thing is, this is going to be bad. And then I just saw everything closing down. And, the, and Los Angeles was in a lockdown at the time, which I got to tell you, if you're going to go to Los Angeles, if you want to enjoy it, it's better without people. <laughs> it's much better. <laughs> I had so much fun there when everything was closed. Um, but, um, you know, I went, and got a, I went and got a COVID test and we, mm-hmm. we kind of assembled all these great musicians. And all I kept feeling was like, this is going to be a bad year for a lot of people. This is going to be, this is going to be a bad year, a lonely year, a stressful year, especially at the holidays. And I know the holidays can be very stressful. You know, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so the holidays were always really difficult for me. So I understood that there was going to be a lot of those kind of things going on, and everybody just locked in their houses during this pandemic. And I said, you know, let's go make a record, a fun record, to just make, just get people's minds off things for a half an hour, 40 minutes, you know? So then we just started rolling out these songs. We found this old recording studio to go in. It's totally cool, you know, but you walk in the door and it's like 1968. Yeah. And we studied up on some some classic recording tricks from the old days, Mm -hmm. how these guys, you know, they they had three tracks, four tracks at times, and you make these, and they didn't even have tape during part of that time. So we tried to make the record kind of trashy, mm-hmm. kind of have an authentic feel to it. Right. And I just felt it would be something that would help people out, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, and I love, you said this, I think to CNN that, you know, sometimes the albums can be sappy, but this is a pretty badass album. Oh, thanks. thanks. <laughs> it really yeah, is. I mean, and, and it's so jazzy. And, well, but you got to have that. And, and, and there's so much to unpack in this record. But a couple of things I wanted to highlight. First of all, I love that you chose to use a child. I think the daughter of your collaborator, um, yeah. Jimmy McGorman, Sydney mm-hmm. is her name, I think. Sydney, to, yeah. Yeah, to sing these, these vocals. She, like her voice is, is kind of quivering. She's singing, reworking one of your, your own hits, yeah. Better Days. Yeah. And I, I thought, I listened to that for the first time when I listened to the whole record. I'm like, well, wow, it's just such a hopeful song, you know, just yeah. hearing that young girl and, and and on a song I knew. And it just, it just really, that that's, man, that's what the world needs. So you yeah. mission accomplished. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. that's, she, you know, you were right. She's a special kid and her dad loves her so much. Mm-hmm. And he was working out a different kind of way of playing the song at home. Mm-hmm. And Sydney sang it and he brought it in and he said, hey, listen to this. My daughter sang on it. And I was like, listening. And he was like, I'll take it home and we'll fix the vocal. We'll make it good. And she'll re-sing it and I'll work with her. And I was like, no, it's so pure. Right. Like the purity of coming out of that seven-year-old's mouth right. Right. is That's just like, so, yeah. it's, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. Now, unfortunately we did a thing. Uh, it's Christmas all over. It's going to be, it's like an hour long show that that's going to be on, mm-hmm. on the web through this company called Fantrax. 
and the producer wouldn't let us use Sydney. So we had to use a, a, like a professional little kid, but she was great too. She yeah. was great too, yeah. but I would much rather, no offense. I, yeah. I would, but they were worried that, Oh, she's never done this before. She might. Mm-hmm. So, but well, the record, the record speaks for itself. I mean, it's really terrific. And I, I love that the, the, the standards, I mean, first of all, I love how you just sort of like, Alvin Chipmunk became a muse for you, you know, <laughs> and how you brought back the Chipmunk song. That I was mean, Robbie's what? idea to bring back the Chipmunk song. <laughs> That's you great. Know? Yeah, he did a great job with it, you know. And the and the video part of, and I know you're doing this special, but part of the videos that you put out already, the one for Hark the Herald's Angel Sing, which we have lyrics that are appearing in black and white. It's a subway, mm-hmm. all subway related, and people are wearing masks and they're working their way into this beautiful New York City Christmas scene. And I mean, that was directed. Who, who directed that? Was, that was magnificent. You know, I don't know the guy's name, yeah. but but he did an amazing job. He, yeah. made, he made a few of them, two or three. He did such a good job, man. I, I loved it. I, usually the lyric videos are like, once again, record companies don't have the money to make music videos anymore. So, or very little money to make music videos. So you, so you got to work within a budget. And I think what he did was really effective. I saw it and I immediately fell in love with it. That was great. Yeah. I have, yeah. I also, now this, this is a, I'm just going to blow out the surprise. I was lucky enough through the video guy at Warner Brothers, a guy named Devin Sarno, to meet this uh, group of animators from Chile Mm-hmm. And they're disciples of Chuck Jones. So oh, you remember wow. all the crazy oh, old, of course. crazy slapstick oh. Warner Brothers cartoons the best, and the, the best. Tom and Jerry and all this yep. crazy yep. stuff. He made a cartoon. His company made a cartoon for You Ain't Getting Nothing. Oh, that's great. Which is my personal favorite yeah. song <laughs> on the album. Right. Which I, I think it's probably... Next to You're a Mean One, Mr. Uh-huh. Bridge. Right. It's kind of the nastiest Christmas song ever written. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and you know this because you got kids. It's like yeah. they're three years old and you, and you start to understand why my parents were constantly threatening me with getting nothing for Christmas. Right. It was the only thing that could make me behave. Right. But, and he made this crazy cartoon. Uh, where, can't wait. Uh, can't, cannot wait to see that. You know, bringing up Christmas and, and, and being a kid, did you happen to get your first guitar for Christmas? No, I got my first guitar for my eighth grade graduation. My mom got me a $35 KSG. <laughs> it was cherry red. That was amazing. It was and you, were, you were hooked. I was hooked. Yeah. I was hooked. I was hooked. Yeah. yeah. You know? I was more hooked on the idea of me and my two friends getting together and playing in the garage. And then girls actually wanted to come over. <laughs> so who were, well, of course. I mean, and, and so who were your influences? Maybe not at eight as much, but maybe 11 or 12 as you were 12, trying to get the girls yeah. to come over. Yeah. Well, bands like, you know, Springsteen, The Who, right. The Kinks, The Stones. I loved The Clash. Yeah. Uh, from, uh, you know, and yeah, those those kind of bands, you know, yeah. and, it, and it was really, it was fun, you know, because you finally figure out how to play a song. I have no musical education, really. Right, right. You know, you were able to pick it up. You knew, you knew, you listen to the music. Yeah. 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 I was yeah. lucky. I could, yeah. I could listen to it. One, one, of the, one of the first songs that I learned how to play was Even the Losers by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Right. It's just a fantastic song. And I mean, Tom Petty ultimately wound up informing a lot of what I do because I listen to him and I, I, he's an inspiration to me because he took so many chances with his career. He went over and over, over and over yeah. and reinvented himself, yeah. but it was still petty yeah. and it was all good. Right. You know, the stuff he did with Jimmy Ivan, the stuff that with, with Dave Stewart, with right. Jeff Lynn, with right. Rick Rubin. Right. It's like, yeah. wow. Yeah. You know, such a talent. Yeah, no, uh-huh. just tremendous talent. The the Jeff Lynn stuff, one of the one of the great albums of all time. Really, really. So you put the two originals on there. We'll talk about one in a minute. But the, you just talked about you ain't get nothing, and and that that was that was so much fun. So what inspired you? I guess if you had to say the hit of the album, and at least in my opinion, obviously there's classics and standards, but this is Christmas. Is in my, and again, as a Jew, what do I know? But I love Christmas music, but I haven't heard anything this original as This Is Christmas. I don't know when the last 
Christmas song I've heard that's so original and, and unusual. So what what was your inspiration for that? I was just kind of thinking about that whole thing. I've always, I mean, you know, for the last bunch of years, I've lived away from Buffalo, you know, and we'll all pile in the car and go up there for Christmas and see the whole family. And, you know, I was kind of, kind of thinking about it's going to be a rough year for a lot of people. And there's, there's one line in the song that particularly stuck with me which was sing with me softly, my dear, mm-hmm. because it's all I can give you this year. Right. And it's like, I think, I think the gifts this year are going to be more thoughtful than expensive, right. you know, for a lot right. of people. And that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And the time that you spend together with, with people that you love, you know, and I even see this in my daughter, you know, it's like, cause I'm gone a lot and I come home and I'll bring her like a big toy and she'll be like, if she doesn't like it, she's just like, yeah, but <laughs> If I have a little a little Swedish fish in my pocket, she's so happy. Right. You know? And it's just oh, yeah. like, I think the simplicity of the way it's going to go down this year is going to be really beautiful. I think human contact and human relationships, which seem to be failing and fading away because of technology, are really going to be treasured more, I think. Mm-hmm. And I hope that's a lesson... That we all learn that like sitting talking with someone is just so much better. It, it absolutely is. And you captured it in this song and John is being very generous and I get to play DJ now. John is going to play This Is Christmas. So sit back, folks, take a deep breath and enjoy <laughs> This Is Christmas. Yeah, it's cold and it's gray I'm in love with this day Cause it's Christmas Yeah, the light in your eyes And the smile on your face Says it's Christmas It's a word or a smile That can change someone's life Or some change in your pocket Just to get through the night Wish on stars above For the ones we love This is Christmas Drove a thousand miles Just to see you smile This is Christmas Sing with me softly, my dear Cause it's all I can give you this year This is Christmas It gets harder each year To believe in what's real I need Christmas It's your love that I miss Yeah, your heart and your kiss Make it Christmas And the gifts that you bring Always made my heart sing Not the things that you buy But the love that you bring Wish on stars above For the ones we love This is Christmas Drove a thousand miles Just to see you smile This is Christmas Softly, my dear Cause it's all I can give you this year This is Christmas And it's late in December I need to remember You there when I needed a friend So fill up the car And we'll chase down the star That will lead us back home Wish on stars above For the ones we love This is Christmas Drove a thousand miles Just to see you smile This is Christmas Hold the feeling near 
fill my heart with cheer Cause it's Christmas Sing with me softly, my dear Cause it's all I can give you this year This is Christmas This is Christmas John, thank you so much. That was that was great. That was thank really, you. Really, I, really I decorated the set myself. Yes, no, <laughs> really beautiful, beautiful too. So beautiful. those of you that get to watch the video version of this, you'll you'll appreciate what he's talking about. It. That's what an old drunk's apartment looks like on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Christmas, I wanted to do something special for your fans, and I went on one of your fan sites and asked if anybody had any questions that I, you know, I thought were appropriate. And one big fan of yours, Audra Lenhart, she wanted to know what are your favorite traditions when it comes to Christmas, you know, having to do with films or food, you know, and obviously now with your beautiful little girl, you've got a lot of new traditions. Yeah. She wanted to know a little bit about that. Well, the best traditions that we have, you have to watch It's a Wonderful Life 50 times. Then you have to watch uh, Christmas Story 50 times. Then you got to watch Elf 50 times. And Christmas Vacation, yeah, give that like 20 times. Yeah, Elf has uh, got to be 50 at this yeah. point. <laughs> you know, but um, I love, I have my grandmother's recipe for Christmas cookies, and it's amazing. And we do that. And Christmas Eve, we have at my house, Christmas Day, my wife and I go up to Buffalo with Lily, and she's got four aunts that spoil her (laughs) like it's unbelievable it's like we got to rent a u-haul to get everything back but uh, like i said it's probably not going to happen this year so i mean you know we'll we'll find a new tradition you know we'll we'll have an inaugural thing i guess you know but i mean it's just being together being chill listening to good music i love being the bartender you know because i don't drink so it's like I can shake the martinis all night for everybody. You know? So so that's a lot of fun. It's a great, that's a, an interesting transition. I, I love that. Yeah, um, quite a segue. Yeah. So, <laughs> so any hints on the new record? Uh, a number of people asked about that. Yeah, well, I've already, I'm in this phase where I just mm-hmm. collect ideas on my phone. Right. And I don't have any place in my house that is a studio or whatever. Right. So after everybody's asleep, I'll go down in the basement <laughs> and sitting on a box of paper towels or something, you know, and I have my phone sitting there and I'm just like playing the guitar and humming and then I'll just collect ideas like that. And then are you uh, influenced by the times with this record? I mean, you, you feel like the, the, the album that's going to come out of this is definitely going to have some influence from, from what we've all dealt with in 2020. Well, when I've, when I've sat down with yellow legal pads and pencils, because I still do that too, mm-hmm. when I'm looking for lyrics or just writing verse. Yeah, it keeps popping up, but it keeps popping up in, in a very sort of what is the emotional factor involved in all this? I get very sensitive to like, what what is it like if you're alone at a time like this? I think one of the biggest takeaways the other, you were talking about silver linings earlier. Right. I think another great silver lining in this whole thing is that people are actually reaching out to their neighbors when they might not have under other circumstances. And this is something I truly believe about people. And that's what I liked about Mayor Brindle's thing. Mm-hmm. She stepped up and asked people for help. Right. And all people want is to be asked. Exactly. And I truly believe if you get up and ask people to help, they will. They will. And I think the question we're all going to be asking ourselves after this is all over with and we go back to so-called normal is, hey, what did you do during the pandemic to help out? Right. And I think we all got to figure out what can I do to help out? It doesn't matter. You know, if you, you know, write a check for 50 bucks or drop off food, you know, in New Jersey, that's, that's another thing. New Jersey, the mayor was telling me that, that there's a 25% increase in people who need help to be food secure. Oh, it's terrible. Now that, yeah, that is, yeah. 
we got and right in the, ca- in the county we live in. I mean, alone. I mean, yes. there, there are a couple of cities that are just, just, just desperate. And you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm sure, and you know this, and I've known this for for years. And I think I learned something I learned very early on from my parents is that giving is better than getting. Mm-hmm. And this has been a now year. getting is still good though. Getting, a, getting is, oh, let me tell you, there's, it's second to giving that I can't think of anything better, right? There's a name. There's a, there's a, oh, my God. There's, there's the, the only, title of your album, Second to Giving. Um, but <laughs> there's sec, or seconds to give. But but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a great feeling. And it's been, we had uh, three sets of friends sitting in the backyard with a fire pit last night. And, That's you know, nice. we've lived, we've lived on the street 20 years. And I mean, we get together with friends, you go to restaurants, whatever you do, you go, go out in the city, which is what we did probably the most of anything. But it's been so meaningful these nights and even the colder ones. And we're just dealing with it and have, you know, having our friends over and different couples sitting there and some that have their kids home and our kids are home or whatever. And it's, it's just it's just a great feeling. And it's it's all people that we're almost all in our own same bubble. And yeah, we're comfortable together. And we're not but we're socially distanced. Yeah. Making the, the best of it and making the best of it. So. So, John, it's a question that I've asked all year of all my guests, and I'd love to say I came up with it, but I kind of borrowed it, not really with permission. But I think Tim Ferriss, who wrote this great book, Tribe of Mentors, would he'd be cool with it because it's just one of those questions that he asked in, in his book that, for me, was the big takeaway. And I think you've probably answered this question in so many ways already, but I'm going to throw it out there. So you're given this giant billboard. And you can leave any message to the world. I mean, and, and you know that no matter what, everybody's driving by this billboard. They're going to see it. Mm-hmm. What would it be and why? Well, I have a, I have a poster in, in my kitchen that says, work hard and be nice to people. I just think it's good advice. <laughs> it is good advice. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it reminds me, be nice to mm-hmm. people. Yeah. And, and work hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, what more basic thing could there be? That's it. I think, I think at the end of your life, you really want people, when you think about legacy, I know, and I hitting 60 a few weeks ago, first time I've ever really thought about that word. But one of the things that I really thought about is like, I want to continue to work hard and I want to continue to be nice to people because at the yeah. end of the day, that's, that's what relationships are and that's how things build on each other. So I want to be, wish you an early happy birthday. I know your birthday Thank is you. coming up December yeah. 5th. And you mentioned it before, but I, it's so important that th- these things get mentioned that, you know, you also just celebrated a major milestone of, of your sixth anniversary of being sober. And, you know, yeah. it's, an, it's an understatement to say this, this is not an easy feat, but way to go, man. And, and, oh, thank and you. that's, and that's just, that's terrific. Uh, um, I'm humbled. Thank yeah, you very well, much. Well, Appreciate well. it. I had a lot of help. Yeah. Well, a lot of help. I'm sure. And, uh, you know, the best thing that we can have as a, as a gift, really this holiday season is the vaccine. And hopefully we will have the two shots in our arm early next year and, and we can get back out on the road. And, yeah, and, and, you know, as someone who loves music the way I do, when I had to sit down and think about this year, what I've missed the most, and there, there are a lot of really, really deep things, but live music is, oh, yeah. in my, is, is in my top three. It really is. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if it's interesting, but I was standing on the stage this last year, I said, you know, from just a statistical point of view, half this room voted for Donald Trump and half this room voted for Hillary Clinton. Right. And the place just got like really so uptight about right. everything. And I, I had to pull it out. So I was like, oh, man, I effed up right there. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. It just it, it, it was like very cold in that room when you saw how polarized people can get about these things. And I was like, but we're all here doing something we all have in common. We all like music. So we're all here. I don't care who you voted for. Let's just have fun together. Exactly. That's kind of, those are the bridges that we need to rebuild. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's been, it's been a really divisive four years. And 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 music, nothing, nothing nothing builds those bridges. No, no, but nothing builds those bridges better than music and better than live music. It really does. It's the most common way. It brings everyone together. 
Yeah, right? it's I mean, all the arts. To bring whether, everyone together. Well, it's the arts. Broadway, and I mean, to be fair, Broadway, I feel the same way about, and and movies, and you know, every, all all forms of art, which are so critical to our society. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm wearing uh, little Steven's hat because uh, Steve Van Zant, who I'm lucky enough to know, and he turned 70 today. But one of the things that Steven has worked really hard on, in, in his organization, Teach Rock, is you know, the schools are so focused for so many years on STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, that they forgot the A. And he spent the last tour that he did turning STEM into STEAM. Ah. The A for the arts and had teachers coming for free for the little Stephen and Disciples of Soul shows that he did on his last tour all over the world. I mean, you know, it wasn't just- What a great idea. It was phenomenal. And I actually- was on the board of ed in in, the, in our town for for eight years and worked really hard to get the arts more and more. We, and they are they were already big in our system, which were fortunate. But it's a big deal, and I think that's something to take away yeah. with in the long run. I so. think yeah, because you know, I mean, an artistic mind can be as brilliant as a mathematical mind. It's just in a different way. I think a lot of times, yeah, that gets overlooked. You know, the the arts are always the first thing to go when when yeah. there's when they're always. running out of money. In the school, and it's like, well, what is it? Why, you know, why? But good for him. He's he's be. a good guy, man. Yeah, he he he's 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 been out there fighting the good fight, solidarity for for so many years, and he's a special person in, in my household because mm-hmm. he's done some really cool things with my mom at ninety, having her uh, really? introduce a concert. Yeah, my mom danced on stage. Wow. with the band with Bruce. I mean, you know, he pulled some surprises, he and his wife, for for my mom in, in the last three years that have been incredible. But that's just the kind of guy he is. I mean, he's just yeah. he's just terrific. So you're a good man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to seeing you walk in Roscoe, your beautiful chocolate lab, or walk in <laughs> Brody, my yellow lab, and, yeah. and Leonard, my crazy little uh, little dog that'll probably bark at you. But that's what it is. And, and you know what? Funny that you mentioned Silver Linings one more because we rescue dogs and this has been the greatest year in the history of rescuing dogs. And I love that so many people took that on so seriously very early on that literally, and my wife who's on PetFinder 24 seven a day and gets alerts about dogs for, you know, as long as I've known or as long as PetFinder has been an app, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's been tougher and tougher to get dogs and that's great. That's yeah. a, that's a really 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 good thing, you know, that it's these dogs thing. these dogs get a chance. So John, thank you for being my final guest of 2020. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We're recording thank this you. just a few days before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I want to thank all of my listeners, the regulars that listen to the podcast and all of the wonderful guests that have appeared on the show this year. I am really grateful that you take the time to listen, to subscribe, It means the world to me. I can assure you, as you know, this show for me is just a labor of love. I'm not out there. As you know, this is commercial free. I want to also give one more shout out to our friend Shelly Brindle in our little town of Westfield because she's she's really done some amazing things and and a fellow Buffalo native like John, Jeff Brick. Um, yeah, he's been very helpful with this episode. Jeff, Jeff did throw one thing I forgot to mention. He says, Why don't you ask him best? Wings. See what he says. And I know oh. what Jeff said. We're asking this is a Buffalo question, folks. Okay. Well, I mean, it's been changing. The landscape yeah. is changing there. But okay. uh, Duff's. That, that's thing. That's, that's the answer. It, yeah, Duff's. That was Duff, it. Duff's. Duff's are the best. There's a, yeah. there's a lot of good places. Uh, I remember the final show of uh, Bruce's tour 2009 in Buffalo. It's actually one of the last, it was the last show Clarence Clemens played. And it was mm. the final night of the tour. It happened to be literally, today's the day. It was November 22nd, 2009. And they played the entire Greetings from Asbury Park album that night and ended the tour. And Jeff Brick and, and a couple of us went over to Duff's and I, I got the opportunity to, to really enjoy enjoy it. So You got them big, big mugs of beer. There you go. There you go. Well, thanks uh, again, John. And thanks to Resonate Recording. Adam uh, Hendricks, I really appreciate your hard work getting these shows out quickly. Sean and Phil and Jeff and Brian at UBS, who really helped me kind of get this through our system and get the shows out. And Chris Johnson, who has helped me with his production company today with some of the things that we wanted to get done with John playing. I appreciate all your help. Wishing everybody happy holidays. Have a safe one, please. Just keep masking up. 2021 
is going to be a better year. It just has to be, right? I mean, I even have hope for my Mets and Knicks, so <laughs> anything's possible. And remember, when saving for yeah, your let's financial... Let's not go crazy here. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. But we all listen, your bills are off to a good year, so anything, anything, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. But remember, folks, when saving for, for your financial future, as we say every week, pay yourself first. Have a great week. 